a previous career, Chris was a fuel tank driver in the military in Iraq. Having seen the effects of oil dependency firsthand, he now runs a bike shop called Propel that specializes in electric bicycles. He also has a YouTube channel that focuses on the stories and issues of people trying to use their bike for transportation. In this interview, which was a live stream on the YouTube channel, we talk about the notion of rebranding the bicycle in North America, how it's currently perceived as only pretty much a sport, and what has to change in order for that to happen. Super interesting discussion. Before we jump in, I do want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Arkel. It's spring in Montana, and that means fishing, and I've been using the Arkel Hollet. It's sort of an open top soft platform thing to carry my boots and waders to the river, and it's transformed my bike into a fishing truck. If you've ever used our painters, you know that they've got this really herky metal cam lock system, and your bags aren't going anywhere. 80% of their bags are made in Canada with US sourced fabrics. And they've got a cool new tool on their website to help you find that perfect painter. Link in the show notes. So if you're stoked that the podcast is back, give Arkel a visit. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you will get 15% off Arkel products. Win-win for everybody. Thanks to Arkel for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, let's jump in. For those that may not be familiar with uh, Propel, can you give a, just a, a quick history of Propel bikes. Yeah, sure. So Propel, we're an e-bike shop, but you know, I mean, an e-bike shop is a untraditional as a bike shop in general, right? But we're even more traditional in that way. I mean, we have a couple of different locations, one on each coast. So we have one in, uh, in New York where we started on Long Island, uh, but we uh, moved to Brooklyn in 2015, where I am now. Um, so we have a store in Brooklyn and we have another location in Long Beach, California, and we're also setting something up in Delaware right now. But we have those stores, but we work with people like all over the country and we primarily focus on like commuter, urban cargo type bikes. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. We really focus on quality. We bring a lot of bikes over from like Europe and stuff like that. As far as I'm concerned, like they're kind of doing it better than us. Um no offense, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I really think that they got some interesting things to model after, particularly when we talk about like getting around in cities and stuff like that. Yeah. And then I guess part of how we connected is probably through my YouTube channel that started in 2019, right before the pandemic, which is kind of a interesting time to start. Yeah. I really lucked out on that one because, you know, it's really dug in pretty hard in 2019. And then the pandemic hit and then it's like all that content felt like even more important for people to understand like these different bikes and stuff like that. So, yeah. One yeah. thing I love about um, your YouTube channel is you don't use it like a typical bike brand or typical business. Um, you know, there is some product stuff. There is some like behind the scenes industry things, but it seems like your, your focus is also telling interesting stories building that sense of a bike community. And that just feels more sticky than just, you know, like a two minute sizzle video with lots of drone footage. I don't think people want to be like sold to, or they want advertisers, you know, I think that they, they want to learn new things. They want to be exposed to interesting people and ideas and stories and stuff like that. I mean, that's what I want. So the idea um, of like what, many people use it for i think it's is not 
uh, right from from my perspective. I think there's a much greater opportunity, and um, and really, I mean, that's kind of become like part of our greater mission is actually like getting these bikes out and get these ideas out to a much larger audience than um, they perhaps have like otherwise had the opportunity to. Yeah, and I I really love the the content that you guys are making. Like you've got a, a one video where you bike around with the mayor of Emeryville. Um, another one with a, a, bod, a podcaster in LA, um, you, you tackle issues like, you know, people are, are scared to bike. It's, it's actually kind of scary. I mean, you kind of forget about it if you're in the culture, but, you know, stepping back, you're, you're addressing these real issues that people have. I think that that's probably what people want also to like, know that people understand, like, you know, that, that, um, from, from my side, I mean, um, I could feel a bit like lost in this thing. I mean, I did for so long in the e-bike thing. Like, you know, we were talking a little bit before we we went on and like how I used to go to the bike shows and stuff like that. And we were as a e-bike person or if you will, it was very much the outcast, you know, and we were we were, you know, dedicated to this like very small area off to the side and and didn't really feel so like welcome. And I think that that's you know, part of this bigger idea of the brand of the bicycle and like where these different things fit. And if you're riding bike for transportation, for example, it's like maybe ah, that doesn't really fit the current brand that we're, we're going for here. And, um, you know, that's, uh, but, but that's, that's what I'm driven by. And, and, um, has a YouTube channel helped the business? Like, I mean, do you see like returns and, you know, some correlation between the content you guys put out and, and how it affects the, the brick and mortars? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely grown the popularity of our shops. I mean, part of the challenge is that we only have a couple locations. So like we're only able to serve people in a certain way, um, you know, and, and many people have the preference to buy, you know, from a shop that's local to them. And that's becoming more popular. And I understand and respect that. Um, but, uh, you know, so it's tough. And, and we don't really receive much like money for the channel per se. So I kind of have to end up recouping it through like the sales that we make for our bikes. Um, but we're still figuring that out. I mean, we've thought about different things, especially as we get into more of this like advocacy type content and storytelling that we might move more in the direction of being like community supported. We've had opportunities for like some of the different brands that we work with for them to support it. We haven't done so much like official sponsorship stuff. Um, but I'm just, I guess I've been figuring out like what we are and like what I really want to create in this type of content. And I think what I've learned is like what I feel most passionate about the stuff that we've been doing most recently, which is like this storytelling. And I think that a lot of people are doing such amazing things with their content and I want to do it in a bit of a different way. I mean, like using like cinematic type storytelling to present these ideas in a way that hopefully can let them travel to other audiences in a, in, in a way that maybe wasn't done so much. But getting back to the idea of like, yeah, I mean, it's been good for business for sure. Uh, but like figuring out how it all works, uh, it's been challenging. I mean, we're just kind of figuring it out on the fly and mm -hmm. even like how much time do I dedicate to that? I put a lot of time into it. You know, um, I'm fortunate to have uh, my videographer and I, we have some other people on our creative team but my videographer, I mean, certainly couldn't have done with her without her. I mean, she started we when we put out an application for put out the job posting. We got three hundred applicants in three days. Oh dang! That was pretty <laughs> crazy. And then, um, uh, but I picked Tara 
she's amazing. Don't try to steal her. She's like, <laughs> but she's she's so good. I'm just I'm I'm just so grateful for her. And you know, we just figured it out together. I mean, we threw out a bunch of videos and just like just rolled with it. And I mean, you've been doing this for for a long time. Um, you know, I, I I I had an idea of the approach we wanted to go, and yeah, we just kind of figured it out. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw your uh, the the rig that you were rolling with or were playing to roll with at the the Fibro <laughs> ride. It looked like you had a 360 camera and like at least three other, you know, some kind of DSLR mounted camera to to the cargo bike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the thing is like a lot of people often ride with like having like a GoPro or some sort of action cam, but I don't know that it like properly represents like the real experience of riding a bike. Um, you can like tell a certain story with that of course but i think that it's um it's it's about like actually like trying to like recreate that experience as much as possible and that's what um i'm really trying to work on getting there um and and we've again like similar to a lot of the videos that we threw out in the beginning we you know basically I've thrown out a lot of cameras and that sort of stuff too. I mean, like, um, and I'm still figuring it out. We have other cameras that we're supposed to start experimenting with next month. Mm -hmm. And, and I have another team member that's been really helpful in that. We're actually like talking about like doing some, like, like a, like little production company with some of that stuff, because there, I think there is like a need for that type of filmmaking. Um, and, uh, but again, this is not my background. Like I, you know, I'm, I don't even know. I don't know what my background is. I didn't work in a bike shop. So like, I don't yeah. know. Am I, but yeah, just. Well you, well, you do a great job at it. You you and your team do a great job at the the storytelling on your YouTube channel for sure. Thanks you too. Yeah. For sure. I've always been an admirer. I mean, it was just like, I, I was kind of surprised to hear when you, when you reached out, I was like, Oh, and then like you reached out about this idea of rebranding the bicycle. It's like, I mentioned that like one time in a video, I'm like, yeah. oh, I guess I got to think about this some more. You know, this is just the idea that came to me when I was in the shower, you know, like, all right. We were talking a little bit about, um, you know, kind of my origin story offline. Um, because I think we're, our channel is known now for, for gravel and touring and stuff like that. But if you go to the way, way back, you know, I started cycling from a purely transportation and the perspective, you know, I was a two-pack-a-day smoker, super unhealthy. Um, I was fortunate to be telecommuting to this job in the Bay Area. So when my truck died, I didn't need it per se, but I was also super lazy. So I was like, I don't want to replace a truck. I just started walking to do my groceries. Then that was too inefficient. So I started inline skating and then borrowed a neighbor's bike. And that's when I really fell in love uh, with the bike and got into bike advocacy. Um, so I've got a lot of roots um, in kind of the, the transportation and, and utility side of biking. When the YouTube algorithm started feeding me uh, your guys' videos, I was, I was super stoked. Yeah. And in Long Beach, too. I mean, yeah. that's, that was kind of interesting that you started over there. Um, but it's, it's not the worst place. I mean, they've, you know, there's like the beach path, so you could get your exercise cycling in and at least, you know, get, get some legs under you. Um, long way to go, but, you know, in terms of, like large or mid-sized uh, American cities, it wasn't too bad. It's yeah. got good bones and it's got like a good spirit to it, but it's just about getting that spirit like aligned and, and really making moves. I think that's a challenge. Like a lot of these cities, they have these bike master plans and stuff like that. And these great ideas are great, but then it's a matter of like 
getting public support? Do you actually need public support? I mean, we're talking about like, you know, dangerous streets and it's amazing how people can get really up in arms when you say, well, we're going to lose one or two parking spots, but we're probably going to save three lives. Oh, no, no, that's, that's <laughs> a problem. It. <laughs> and it's, 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 that's the story that's told time and time again. And, and I guess that's, that's part of this other idea that like, you know, I think that people don't realize like the heart of like what a bicycle neutrally main meant to most people throughout the world. And we kind of like lost sight of that because we've been sold this idea that a car is like the best. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I was actually uh, another YouTuber, um, Jason Slaughter, not just bikes. He had mm -hmm. said that like, um, he was talking about how cities built roads and they didn't put sidewalks in and basically like, well, we have cars now. Why would anybody even want to walk anywhere? Right. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, that's actually, that's, this is like the idea is that this is how excited people were about this idea at that time. Now we're like, oh, let's roll it back a little bit. Maybe that wasn't the, the, first <laughs> the brightest idea. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, let's jump into this idea of rebranding the bike. I was watching your video where you were interviewing Amy. What's the name of the the tire valve podcast? Or yeah, press, 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 press the valve. Press the story valve. Yeah, press the story, um, podcast. And um, you were you guys were just getting into the topic when there was like a swarm of bees or something happening on the trail. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I want to know what you guys think. <laughs> so that's what gave me the the impetus to to bring you on the show and, and ask that question. So let's maybe start off with how we perceive bikes are branded now. Um, we were talking a little bit offline and like, I felt like they're, they're kind of two big paradigms in um, the U S one is, you know, Red Bull rampage and others like tour de France. I mean, is that how you perceive it? Yeah. I, I, and I think there's probably one other when if you talk about like the transportation side of things, that's like you're poor or you got a DWI. Right. <laughs> Basically, like that's what most people think of like people that ride a bike for transportation. And, you know, like, why don't you just get with the program and get a car? Like, oh, maybe I don't want to spend an extra $10,000 a year. It's like the average cost of car ownership. Like, right. Know, but, but that just goes right over most people's head that we're actually like enslaved by our built environment, that we're not able to actually get anywhere without having a car and spending, you know, an extra whatever. That's, that's part of it. That's yeah. a, that's a big part of it. Um, at, at least certainly like what, what I'm focused on this idea of like transportation and stuff like that. But I think that, yeah, it's certainly the sport side of things um, is a really big thing. And the bike industry historically has been really driven by that. And now it's shifting, but the reality is it's still like the sport side that's like driving that because that's like what the whole bike industry has been for years. Mm -hmm. And but then now they're getting into like e-bikes and transportation because it's becoming a thing. But it's, I think that we need new ideas. We need new people thinking about this. Like, you know, I came from outside the bike industry. I was just like, this is interesting. I mean, for me, I drove fuel trucks in Iraq. That's like, that's my real driver where I was like, well, I really understand what like our dependence on foreign oil means and like where we go and like how people are hurt by this. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's not generally talked about, but that's the reality. And now I could do something that's like moving in a totally different direction and like 
and people aren't really hurt by it, you know. So um, although people are getting hurt on the roads, you know, and and I think that's in part because the bike is not viewed as a transportation tool. It's not viewed as like what it essentially was, what it essentially was designed to do from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I think we really lost that. And it's almost like and that's what I think about. I think about like like a company, if you, you know, if we talk about branding, usually you think about a company, like a brand identity or whatever, or you could just say identity. And you could think that like the bike essentially lost its identity in America. Mm-hmm. It didn't in other places. Like you go to Europe, that's not at all the case, but it essentially like if you, if you ask people like, who do they think of when they think of uh, a bicyclist and one of the things I was thinking about a lot is like you think of somebody that's wearing like tights and funny shoes, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that's that's what most people feel like they need to aspire to to be like a proper bicyclist. Like I've I've never worn clipless pedals. No, no. Like I totally respect and appreciate it. But I think that we need to understand that bicycling is like so much bigger than that. You know? mm-hmm. and, and I don't think that most people understand that because they that's always like what the, the marketing dollars is kind of going towards and historically. Yeah, I've I always view cycling as a buffet table. You know, there's you know road cycling, there's mountain biking, there's commuting, there's bike touring, there's you know whatever kind of cycling, but they're all in, in my eyes are equal. You know, and the the problem is you know, the bike industry is only telling one story. You know, too much. It's like an imbalanced diet, right? <laughs> you know, whereas they should all be equal options. One is a little too dominant. Um, recently I did a video where I went to the, the library at adventure cycling and I pulled out, um, different issues of bicycling, bicycling magazine from, uh, early seventies, early eighties and the early nineties. And it was fascinating because if, if you took the covers of bicycling as kind of an indicator of what people thought of, of bikes in general, there's this subtle shift, like the early covers of bicycling were about bikes and the energy crisis. You know, so many, so many covers and stories devoted to that. And then it was around the 80s. I think Le Mans was, you know, starting to contend for the Tour de France. Then you saw this shift from, uh, you know, energy crisis and bikes to uh, touring to slowly the more road-oriented side. And then 90s was like full-on, like, roadie bikes. Showed me two things. One is that in the bikes weren't always a sport or didn't always dominate, at least on the cover. And that shift happened within just a few decades, which also means that it could change into something else in a few decades if, you know, there's enough willpower to, to do it. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I mean, I kind of dove into the history in a not exactly the same way, but that's I appreciate the, the way that you're looking at it. And um, one thing that's really interesting is the Netherlands, for example. A lot of people talk about the Netherlands as like the mecca for cycling and that sort of stuff. Right. And a lot of people expect that biking was always a thing there, that this was like always like the main mode of transportation and everything like that. And and maybe to some extent that's true. But the reality is it it wasn't what it is today by any means. And a lot of the infrastructure that exists there really happened in the past 20 years, 40. Then, But it really started in the 70s at that same time. Energy crisis. Right. The challenge is that, okay, energy crisis happening worldwide, similar to what's going on now, right? But the Netherlands, they didn't make cars over there. 
you know, they didn't have oil companies over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically what happened was um, people are really upset, you know, about kids dying in the streets, like people dying in the streets as a result of cars, right? Same thing was happening in America. People are protesting in the streets, right? Similar to like the advocacy stuff that's going on now and a relatively large scale, it's happening in the 70s. But what happened was it didn't get covered in the media. It would get covered in like local newspapers, but big media, who was the biggest advertisers? It was auto companies and mm-hmm. different things like that. And like there was some real shady stuff going around at those times. I'm not <laughs> going to get into that right now. But but basically, that's essentially what happened. Like, And we kind of are at an opportunity for that to happen now uh, where we can actually run with this, that we can actually, you know, listen to the advocates, like listen to the science and like understand that, yeah, this, this is a good idea that we can lessen our dependence on oil. We can, you know, lessen our ability to like actually get into, you know, these different conflicts and different things like that. I think that that's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity we have ahead of us, but I think that we got to get out of our own way. And part of that is like, you know, looking at the bicycle as actually a transportation tool, uh, and I think that we lo- need to attack it from all different angles, of course. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think we're we're really we're really ingrained in that, and that's pe- people are not so easy to to make changes. All right, I think that that's that's the challenge. Um, mm-hmm. I think one good thing is though that we have some things to like model after. We're not doing it from the first time, you know. Like we have other like countries and cities, etc., to like actually look at and say hey you know we can we can follow them yeah the the road the roadmap is there if we if we want to take it (laughs) i and 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 i'm i'm optimistic that we will um and i think it's it's just a matter of like how quickly it will happen right yeah you know you're you're mentioning you know the problem with the media covering issues and i think uh to to a big extent like media coverage shapes kind of just how people think of things um for better or for worse there's lots of different media now and I think platforms like YouTube, where you can get you know, messages, you know, the message that you're getting out there, the message that we try to get out there, um, you know, we can we can chip away a little bit at at the at the groupthink and and show a different uh, perspective. I mean, I think of at least in the bike touring, bike adventure space, um, you know, there's, there's a character, there's a person named uh, Ron or Ultra Romance, and he kind of broke the mold in terms of you know cycling because he he did cool things, but he just use wacky gear, wore wacky clothing, or not not the typical roadie stuff. Uh, but he's been able to, uh, you know, run a successful business, uh, kind of change the industry standards on like handlebar width and, and how we think of things. And that wouldn't have been possible pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter, pre-YouTube, all those things. It's amazing how a small number of people can really create a lot of change. And, and I totally agree with the, you know, the kind of effectively the democratization of content creation today, like, you know, it's now in the hands of many and we have an opportunity to, you know, I mean, I guess that's, that's where you end up seeing the truth, right? Because from my side, um, I, I believe that, that, you know, if, if many different people agree that this is the right, the right thing, like many different, like independent sources um, and like, you know, here's a great example, you and I from kind of two, relatively different walks of life in the bike industry we're both kind of agreeing like yeah this makes sense <laughs> and actually generally speaking the bike industry is agreeing that it's like yeah this is a good way to go so um 
yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that for sure. Yeah. So you'd mentioned earlier um, that when you'd go to, you know, bike trade shows, tr bike trade shows, e-bikes were kind of sh uh, shuffled off into the corner. Is that the case still? Or if there was a shift, when, did, when do you think that happened? Oh, when did it happen? Um, there's definitely a shift. Um, I think that most of these bike brands realize that the e-bike is like saving their ass, you know, to put it gently. It's not really gently, but, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because it's like, oh, this is the move. This is the way we should go. This is the way. Ah, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what, what were you telling us about a couple years ago? Can we talk again? Um, oh, do you want to carry our bikes? We got a new e-bike now. Do you like it? And it's like, oh, come on. But um, but yeah, I would say, I mean, COVID changed things so dramatically. Um, and I'd say that was like probably the biggest shift, but you know, essentially bike bike shows stopped before COVID. Well, the the US bike show effectively, Interbike, yeah, stopped before COVID. Um and but but actually right before Interbike stopped, you could see that like e-bikes were becoming the thing. Although at the same time it was a shift because a lot of the big brands were like pulling out and mm -hmm. I don't know, it's all it's all mixed up. But I mean, I was going to Eurobike since like 2013 and back then i mean e-bikes ran the show there so are um, e-bikes e presented differently in europe than they are here yeah i mean just utility cycling just like actually like bikes for transportation totally presented differently in in europe i mean of course they have the sport thing there as well um but i think that's just part of it i mean i think if if most European countries, even like outside of the Netherlands, like if you say like, oh, I'm going to drive my car a mile, they're like, what? <laughs> really? I mean, for one, I think they pay like the actual price of gas in a lot of places where we don't hear, which a lot of people forget about. But, um, you know, it's yeah, it's definitely a totally different deal. And and I think e-bikes were embraced from an early point because it wasn't. Oh, I think you. What did you say before? Before we we started about. Um, oh, I had a, someone commented on the YouTube video. I think it might have been like Laura's uh, review on on the Niagara e bike, and they're like, "Well, bikes are supposed to be hard." <laughs> you <know>? Right. <laughs> it's so horrible. It's yeah. I mean, but that's this is the this is the mentality right um and we just we can't get our own way it's you know and, and and that actually gets back to the same idea that i think um you know so i've been i i put out a tweet which I, like i don't actually participate in twitter very much but recently i've been kind of experimenting with it a little bit and i put out a tweet that um that most most americans want a bike but they're scared mm -hmm. and and that really resonated with a lot of people, it seems, or at least like people got excited about it. What's what's really interesting with that idea for me is that I think that a lot of people like didn't feel like they could bike because they're scared or whatever. And then like pride and ego kind of like shoved that idea so back into their like subconscious that it's like can't even come up now mm -hmm. to the point where they might even be like, I hate bikes. I hate bicyclists. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting too like <laughs> psychoanalyzing with stuff, but that's naturally where my head goes. But really, I, 
it, it's I, I really believe that to be true. And and I think that if we build safe places for people to ride, like they will get out there and ride. And and I guess that's part of it is that maybe a lot of European cities and stuff like that, they they weren't, you know, bulldozed for the automobile. And as a result, like they still are relatively safe to bike and walk and that sort of thing. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like, you know, the built environment is, is, a, is a big thing. And, and I haven't been everywhere in America and you've probably traveled more places than I have, but I, but I, I do, I have been to, you know, several European cities and, and, and the places I've been in America, I could recognize like, it's a big difference. And, you know, I mean, as I shared before, I was in the military. I mean, I drove fuel trucks in Iraq and like the reality is like, I felt more comfortable driving trucks in like many of these places then I would feel like riding a bicycle or even walking. Right. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. If, if a bike is not thought of as a means of transportation, then yeah, we'll put in some recreational routes and stuff like that. But as far as like connecting those pieces, no, it's not necessary because it's not transportation, you know, but you wouldn't build a road without a connection to this other road. Right. Like they do that all the time with bike infrastructure. You know? Right. Yeah. I know that um, when we were when I was involved in in bike advocacy in, in Long Beach in the early aughts, um, you know they were talking about you know there's some push to put in bike lanes, and you know the group I was a part of were really like transportation focused, and we wanted it going into like East Long Beach and you know connecting these other pockets and neighborhoods. But the first place that they put bike lanes is, of course, on the beach where all the roadies ride. And we're like, what about us? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of got lured in by the infrastructure in, in Long Beach. And before I knew that much about, you know, bike infrastructure, you know, I was like, oh, this is great. But then you recognize like, oh, there's all these east-west routes, but there's no north-south routes. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I realize I can't actually get anywhere if I like you know, I, I would still ride there most of the time, but the reality is like, it still felt like largely unsafe despite like having better than most cities infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've never been to your bike. I've always wanted to go. It's kind of off the table at the moment with all the, the COVID still, uh, when you <laughs> yeah, this year it's in uh, Frankfurt. So they're moving, uh, you know, the, they usually have in a very small, city which i probably butchered the name but it's friedrich shopping yeah. and it's so beautiful but yeah they're moving to frank bird but i guess it's supposed to be a bigger better show this year so we'll see yeah. how it goes when when you've gone and you've seen the displays and, and the brands talk about you know transportation cycling is it like somehow sexier like how or is it just the the mindset in europe it's like yes you know bike is a tool it's it means to get around like is it is does that can that stuff be imported in the way that we talk about bikes or is it not possible because you know you, the whole country has to think of bikes as a, a different in a different way i mean i think that you know i think people are practical and i think like when they, when people are presented with practical solutions they go with them i mean we try to you know present practical solutions in our shops it's you know it's not all that different than a hybrid bike really it's kind of um you know it's a hybrid bike with fenders and a rack and lights the customer for e-bike might not be the tr traditional North American cyclist. So like the, the language might be just completely. Um, and different. that's great. You know, the reality is like 90% of people don't bike. Right. And like e-bikes and, you know, transportation bikes or whatever, or like getting that other 90% people into it that are not like trying to do the sport thing. They're just like, 
I just want to like go to work and not have to use my car because it's really expensive to use a car. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people often forget, you know, but when, when COVID hap- happened, like how did it affect sales and how, how has the whole supply chain been uh, with getting e-bikes? So, um, so for those who don't know, like a lot of bike shops, it's kind of feast and famine, right? So it's like kind of you, you do well in the spring and summer or maybe a little bit in the fall. And then the winter, it's like, I hope we got enough rations to get us through the winter. <laughs> and, and, um, you know, so COVID is like March, right? And so it's, and the tail end of the winter, like now is like March is when you're like, okay, now we're going to like, you know, get, get our stuff back together. Right. And when it first hit, it was like, oh, it's over. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with my business, you know? And then, um, and then, you know, the phone and the emails and everything like just started going crazy. I think the lockdown really changed things pretty dramatically because like basically like every other sport was taken off the table. Every other like outdoor activity is like more than one people in close quarters. No, not mm-hmm. doing it. So, um, yeah, it's just, uh, so it went kind of crazy and it was very difficult to manage. I was in long beach business was going crazy in New York. I couldn't get to New York. I had a point where I had one employee working there and we were just like, uh, you can't come in the store. We, you know, like, and he was like selling the bikes, building the bikes, everything. Oh, and <laughs> I mean, at, at this point now we have like 15 employees in our New York's location. And so, yeah, it was it was pretty difficult because I had one employee got COVID. I had a new like uh, several employees that like couldn't like tra- uh, get to work because they would take the train and stuff like that and feel like too comfortable with it. But yeah, it got it got crazy quick. And and I guess um, for me, like I guess like from based on like my military experience or whatever, I don't really know. But I'm like good at like reacting in like unorthodox ways so i from the very beginning was just like all right i'm just gonna buy loads of inventory it's just like how much can i buy all of it because i don't know what's gonna happen so um yeah i kind of placed some big bets and and it worked out pretty okay and um so i'm i'm definitely grateful for that and like i said i started the youtube channel in like 2019 and that that really helped us a lot just to get exposure and just helped that we weren't so dependent on like the in-store interaction for people to like be more educated about these bikes and like help to understand what might be a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how great of a tool that was going to end up being, you know, when, when we hit this thing and, and um, you know, into March, April and onward. Yeah. So how is, um, there's been some kind of talk that the, the, the bike boom bubble is is bursting like are you are you seeing that have has interest kind of waned or is it still pretty strong i think the bike boom for like okay so i think the bike industry in general has been like struggling and covid was a bit of a shot in the arm i think e-bikes has just been on an upward trajectory since before covid and covid was an accelerator but i think it's kind of i mean the reality is like I, I'll say another controversial thing. I can do that often, but electric bikes are going to be way bigger than traditional bikes. It's it's going to happen. It's going to happen in our lifetime. I don't really know exactly. It's partly going to be dependent on infrastructure, but yeah, it's if you think about like the 
the cross section of people that it's actually applies to, it's so much greater. And mm -hmm. people often talk about like, oh, how electric bikes is a percentage of traditional bike sales. But I think they're looking at it incorrectly because actually it's electric bikes as a percentage of transportation. The mm -hmm. transportation market like dwarfs the bicycle market by such a dramatic extent. And I think, you know, it's just so I think that's the thing. And and the, the other challenge is that the, the bicycle industry is just really ill prepared for what is to come. Um, mm -hmm. And. I don't know, we're, you know, we're going to do our best to figure it out, but, uh, you know, it'll happen in time. But, you know, the reality is we're still in the very early days. Um, as far as, yeah, just getting back to your original question about the bike boom, is it over? Is it, you know, it's, yeah, I, I think that, I think we probably are going to see a, a bit of a glut in like some of the other, in, in some of the other areas, because I think, I don't think, I don't think most of the bike industry actually understands the bike industry or like what the future is and, because they're so focused on sport, because that's all that we know. But again, you know, if you look at it, it's like transportation is the opportunity. And, yeah. you know, for those that don't see that, they're totally missing it. Yeah, I've always felt that, you know, let's say this is like the world world population of, of people that could be biking, right? This little dot would be all the roadies that ever existed, you know, and the industry is constantly selling to the same, like maybe, five percent you know maybe trying to grow that market a little bit and they age out these people burn out they're no longer competitive they lose that but they're always feeding like this tiny little point you know it, it's to me it's always been bonkers like if you could you know why sell one widget that only you know one percent of the market would buy instead of you know creating or selling a widget that the other 99 percent of people would buy you know so well, the reality is most people are followers they don't have creative ideas. They don't have original ideas. They're not able to think outside the box. And and Americans are more challenged by that than anybody, really. And, um, you know, with the whole, like, I mean, and that really gets it back into, like, the branding of the bicycle. It's, like, keeping up with the Joneses. Like, if it's not a cool thing to do to to get around by bike, I'm not going to do it. Because my what, what are my friends going to say about me? How am I going to look, you know? Right. My people are going to think that, like, I can't afford a car. I, I can't do that, you know? And you know, that, that is a real thing. When I, when I, you know, first started biking, I'd go to my barber, like, you know, once, once every month. I used to get haircuts. Uh, this is back in Long Beach. And you know, I'd pull in with my bike, and uh, he'd give me this nod, and he's like, "UI, huh?" I was like, "No, no, no! I, I, I just right. like riding it." He's like, "It's okay, dude. Yeah, I've been there." I was like, "No, for real." <laughs> this is this is it. I mean, you know, certainly where I grew up. I mean, I guess it's part of what I'm really grateful for. New York, New York, for a long time, it kind of has represented a pretty good cross section of the city on bikes. I mean, the same for the subway. I mean, that's the thing, like in LA, everybody doesn't ride the subway. You ride the subway, like if you don't have money or you're like, you're mm -hmm. tough and like not that scared <laughs> because it's a little rough. And, you know, but in New York, like pretty much everybody rides the subway. And, you know, I think that's the interesting thing about the Netherlands. Like it's actually built in as like part of the culture, it, like actually, how people ride bikes to get around and it's, it's, it's well-respected that, that you do that. And actually, you know, from the Royal family, like they do it and everything else. And, and I think that that's, um, I don't, I don't know if like we'll get there. I mean, I guess we will, you know, the reality is like, I think it, it, it goes hand in hand to some extent with like 
you know, people being more like eco-conscious or different things like that. Like these things are becoming popular and the one way or another, like if it doesn't happen now, like it'll happen with the next generation. And I don't at all want to use that as a scapegoat, but the reality is like younger people are a lot more educated about these topics. Like, and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of older people are being stupid, you know, to put it (laughs) frankly, like no offense to the ones that are not, but a lot of you like mm, can't, can't teach adult old new tricks. Like, but at the same time, like some of the, some of the greatest number of actually, you know, people coming into this space now are older people because of mm-hmm. e-bikes, right? It's like enabling that opportunity. And I think it's amazing, but I think so many people are stuck in like the old ways and they can't get out of the way, you know, of, of thinking differently about it. Uh, at least from my perspective, I, I'm seeing more adoption of the e-bike in mountain biking than in road. I think road is deep in the culture of, of suffering and hurting yourself, but mountain bikers can see the practicality and kind of, you know, making the climb up a little bit easier so they can descend, you know, and, and do the fun part more, which is kind of funny. Can I say one thing about yeah. this rebrand thing, right? I think one of the greatest like marketing achievements is like really the branding of the automobile. Like we've been sold this like liability as freedom you know, effectively, Mm -hmm. like if we just look at it, like really simply, like, you know, that we like sold this very expensive vehicle as like, this is what's going to make you cool. This is what's going to impress people. And this is going to allow you to like get all over the place and not recognizing traffic. But, and like, you know, people talk about, I don't know if you heard the term, the phrase, like the love affair with the car, like Mm -hmm. that's how it's represented. Right. I don't know. I think that we can have a love affair with a bicycle. Maybe. I don't know. It's uh, I think that that's ultimately what we have to get to, like to the point where we're like infatuated with it. You know, I, I don't know how to get there exactly, but I do think that bikes need to be perceived as cool and bikes for transportation need to be perceived as cool. Like to, to put it simply, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think we should take cues from the auto industry. Um, you know, one of the things that you'll never see a car ad do is talk about how hard it is to drive a car, <laughs> right? It's all about ease and comfort uh, and and speed, like kind of effortless effortlessness. Um, you know, there's no kind of self-flagellation going on with driving, and you know that could be part of the appeal, maybe, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah, all right. We, we need something. I mean, um, but it, I think, I think it's happening. And, um, I think that they also need to be seen as like serious tools. Um, and that's one of the challenges that I kind of have with the electric bike industry currently, because a lot of the products are marketed as kind of toys, like something to do, like have fun on the weekends, or maybe they're like also marketed as transportation, but you can't really use it as transportation because the brakes wear out like after like three rides. But mm-hmm. and then you have like battery safety stuff. I don't want to get too much into that. But somebody said biking disabled discuss, please. I think one <laughs> thing that's interesting to think about is like if you put bike inf- infrastructure in, a lot of times it's really good for the disabled. It's something that I didn't really recognize, but I've learned. Uh, I've been fortunate through YouTube to like be able to talk with some really smart people, including yourself. <laughs> And so I learned them things along the way, you know, like I don't read a lot. I'm dyslexic. So I learned just through talking to people. And, right. you know, I think that 
um, biking infrastructure and like walkable cities are really good for the disabled. But the argument that people often say is like, oh, what about when the assessor ride needs to pick you up or like you need to get a ride to go to the store. But the reality is like we build life-size cities, like you can get to the store in your walker, your wheelchair or whatever. And maybe if you're more active, you won't get to that place so quickly. It's definitely gonna be interesting to see what goes on. And, you know, a big thing that came up right now in New York is they changed the fire code. This is, this is a, this is a very big topic and something that's really personal to me because I put so much into like building this thing. And, and I see actually one of the single biggest threats to the, the future of the electric bike industry is, is uh, e-bike fires. And um, I will say this uh, pretty simply, there's a safe e-bike battery and there's an unsafe e-bike battery. And there's a way to test to make sure you have a safe e-bike battery and there are testing standards which exist, but unfortunately like 90% of the industry doesn't use those standards because they're not required. Um, New York just made them required. I don't know what that's gonna actually mean. But uh, basically, it's a UL standard. Um, underwriting laboratories widely recognized as as a standard, you know, uh, for electronics and stuff like that. And um, yeah, just something that. I, so how how does that look like for the consumer? Like, what do they, what should they look for when they're or the, when they're buying an e bike so that they know it's you know a good battery? So it's it's natural for this conversation to seem like really biased. I I, I work pretty much exclusively with Bosch, partly because of this. Um, and they're one of the few companies that actually test to the standard. I think that there will be more companies to do this in the future. But um, yeah, it's, you know, it basically will say that it's UL certified, that it's actually like tested to the standard. Currently, Bosch does it, Panasonic does it, uh, Fazua, which is a smaller company that's growing in size, does it. But most other companies don't do it. Um, and it's a little scary to think that that's, but it's, it's the situation right now. Um, right. and, and that's how industries are. I mean, and, uh, but it's kind of like, from my side, it's kind of like buying a car without airbags today. Like most <laughs> people probably wouldn't do it, you know, um, but you're not even allowed to do it, but that's a whole nother thing. If you're given the choice, I don't know. I mean, but I do at times have a little bit of affinity for something like vintage, but I, I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole nother thing. <clears throat> so is there, I mean, are you seeing like a big push for, for more testing, more standardization? Like, is that discussion happening or, or is it still mostly just like Bosch and like a handful of companies? It's going to happen. Um, and, and all the big companies are involved in these sort of discussions. Yes. Um, but basically the way it works as far as, so there's, there's different, uh, governing bodies that could be involved in this sort of conversation. One is like the in individual municipalities fire code and likely most places will fire follow New York city because they put the most amount of energy into figuring out like what the complex things are and they have lawyers and different people that are researching this stuff. Right. So another city, like where they don't have resources, they're like, Oh, what's the safety standard? It's this. It's New York. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have that, you have insurance companies are probably going to say, well, we're not insuring it unless it's this, right? But then, um, but then you also have the consumer product safety, uh, CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Commission, I think it is. But that's what people mostly recognize for uh, the electric bike standard or like what an electric bicycle is and what a bicycle is. This is the body that governs like products that are being imported into the U.S., 
And most people expect that there's a certain level of testing and standards there. There is, but it's pretty basic. Right. It's kind of, I mean, if you think about like some of the stuff that you see at like some of these like big box retailers and they got like, you know, parts that are just like so horrible yeah. on them that, and you've seen the videos, like somebody tried to like mountain bike with them or whatever. It's just like <laughs> really bad scene. But and these pass the safety standards, you know, like that's, it's fine. It's okay. But you know, um, it's a very, very low bar is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So back to uh, the the rebranding, um, I feel like, at least from my outsider's perspective, that the most successful shops that sell e-bikes are not traditional bike shops. Like, how is your approach different from a shop that's, you know, a traditional bike shop and and and, and just started carrying e-bikes as, as, to, as opposed to what you're doing? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think that's a really big one for sure. I think most people's perception, I mean, the bike shop needs to be rebranded, really. It needs to not be like a bro place that people don't feel welcome at. And I think that a lot of bike shops historically have been that. It's like, oh, you don't know what a 12-speed cassette is? Like, right. <laughs> yeah, the department store is down the street. Like, I'm not here to educate you. It's like, no, that's not how this should work. But, and, you know, so we presented uh, very differently. We really um, focused on that consumer. I mean, like my YouTube videos, I, I talk to people and, and sometimes people complain in the comments, like, why are you talking in such basic language? It's like, well, because a lot of people that are watching these videos, like they are not bike people. They're not familiar with all this terminology. So I need to break it down in very simple terms. And, you know, and I make really long videos on like, you know, these topics and, and people appreciate them because like, I, I know, again, this is the other 90% of the population that like right. want a bike and it's like, but don't really know how to get into it and maybe don't feel space, feel they have spaces or communities that welcome them. And I think it's so, so critical. Um, I think I also didn't accept just the products that were presented to us from the traditional bike brands and stuff like that. I said, no, I'm going to go to Eurobike. That's why I started going to Eurobike. I'm going to look all over the world. I went to Eurobike. I went to Taiwan. I went, you know, and it's just like, let me find the best stuff out there and, and bring that here as opposed to like, yeah, I just kind of had to really rethink all that stuff. Like fat tires was a big thing. So like, mm -hmm. Most of our bikes we sell, like actually it's very, it's pretty rare that we sell a bike that has a tire under two inches wide. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people in the traditional bike market, they too heavy. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, or we sell a lot of bikes with like a belt drive. Somebody had mentioned a continually variable transmission. We do quite a bit with the continually variable transmission, the NVOLO hub. And, you know, it's just like what just works like okay some people complain that it's heavy but like it's easy to use like you know and, mm -hmm. I, and I think about it like you know the cars and like what you know what's people's experience with the car um and you know like and it's comfortable it's easy to use I don't have to think about it like I don't want to think about riding when I'm riding I don't have to figure it out I want to just get on and go and and I think that that's that's the way that I, I think about the the e-bike and that's a, the type of products that I try to um, bring to the market because I think that that's what people really want. And like, um, especially if you're looking at it as like a utility, you know, you're not, you're not looking at it as like, 
if you're looking at it as a sport thing, that's a whole nother thing. But if you're looking right. at it as like, I, I just want to get from here to there. Can this do it easily? Can it do it reliably? You know, right. That's it. Um, and I think we like people talk about like people obsess over the specs and they don't really think about the, the benefits. Right. And I think that we think we got to think more about the benefits and like what do tr people truly want? Like what do they really need? Yeah. I think that's kind of the insight that only like a, an outsider in the bike industry would, would come up with. Right. I feel like there's a tendency for the bike industry to, to hire people that raced before or were already embedded in that culture. So they think these things, they think certain things are important. Um, they, they talk about bikes a certain way and can't like step outside of themselves to, to reach other people that aren't already inculcated in that culture. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think on that note, I'll take it home. Uh, thanks for the discussion, Chris. Um, I hope, hopefully we answered the, or, or addressed the topic of, of rebranding the bike. We did it in kind of a bunch of different ways. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I think so. At least, you know, my biggest encouragement is get people to think outside the box of like what a bicycle can and should be. It's, it's way more than probably what most people think. And maybe that's another opportunity. Like, ask people like in your daily life, like when you think about a bicycle, like, what do you think of? Who do you think of? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just to, just to kind of like get people to think like, Oh no, like actually it's more than that. Did you know that in other places in the world that like biking is one of the main modes of transportation? So that's it for the podcast, everyone. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We've got a few more lined up. Thanks again to Arkel for sponsoring and resurrecting it. If you enjoyed it, give their side a visit or message them and let them know that you appreciate it. As always, everybody, keep the supple side down. Yeah.